Part One of the Characters of Theophrastus by Theophrastus. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part One. One. The Dissembler. Dissembling, generally speaking, is an affectation, whether in word or action, intended to make things seem other than they really are the dissembler is a man for instance who accosts his enemies and engages readily in talk with them to show that he bears no grudge and who praises to their faces the very men he slanders behind their backs and when these lose a suit at court he professes sympathy for their misfortune when men malign him or the opposition is loud he is ever ready with forgiveness when others have suffered such ill-treatment as to have just cause for indignation his comments on their wrongs are couched in non-committal terms and when a man is anxious to have an interview with him he bids him come again pretending that he has just reached home that the hour is late or that his health is too feeble to bear the strain he never admits anything he is doing but at most will say that he is considering it when a friend would borrow of him or would solicit his contribution he says uh, business is dreadfully dull though at other times when business is really dull he reports a thriving trade if he has received a bit of news he will not admit he has heard it and when he has witnessed an occurrence he will not admit he has seen it or if he does admit it he protests he can't recall it and of one matter he says he will examine it of another that he doesn't know, of others that he is amazed, of yet others that he had thought of that himself before. In short, he is a master of phrases like these. Oh, I can't believe it. I fail to comprehend. I'm dumbfounded. By your account, the fellow has become a different man. He certainly didn't tell me that. The thing's improbable. Tell that to the Marines i'm at a loss how i can either doubt your story or condemn my friend but see whether you're not too credulous two the flatterer flattery is a cringing sort of conduct that aims to promote the advantage of the flatterer the flatterer is the kind of man who as he walks with an acquaintance says behold how the people gaze at you there is not a man in the city who enjoys so much notice as yourself yesterday your praises were the talk of the porch while above thirty men were sitting there together and the conversation fell upon the topic who is our noblest citizen they all began and ended with your name as the flatterer goes on talking in this strain he picks a speck of lint from his hero's cloak or if the wind has lodged a bit of straw in his locks he plucks it off and says laughingly see you because i have not been with you these two days your beard is turning gray and yet if any man has a beard that is black for his years it is you while his patron speaks he bids the rest be silent he sounds his praises in his hearing and after the patron's speech gives the cue for applause by bravo if the patron makes a stale jest the flatterer laughs and stuffs his sleeve into his mouth as though he could not contain himself if they meet people on the street he asks them to wait until master passes he buys apples and pears carries them to his hero's house and gives them to the children and in the presence of the father who is looking on he kisses them exclaiming bends of a worthy sire when the patron buys a pair of shoes the flatterer observes the foot is of a finer pattern than the boot 
if he calls on a friend the flatterer trips on ahead and says you are to have the honour of his visit and then turns back with i have announced you of course he can run and do the errands at the market in a twinkle amongst guests at a banquet he is the first to praise the wine and doing it ample justice he observes what a fine cuisine you have he takes a bit from the board and exclaims what a dainty morsel this is then he inquires whether his friend is chilly asks if he would like a wrap put over his shoulders and whether he shall throw one about him with these words he bends over and whispers in his ear while his talk is directed to the rest his eye is fixed on his patron in the theatre he takes the cushions from the page and himself adjusts them for the comfort of the master of his hero's house he says it is well built of his farm it is well tilled and of his portrait it's a speaking image three the coward cowardice is a certain shrinking of the heart a coward is a man who as he sails along imagines that the cliffs in the distance are pirate ships if the waves are high he asks if there's anybody in the ship's company who has not been initiated into the mysteries he bends over toward the helmsman and inquires whether he intends to keep to the high seas and what he thinks of the weather and to his companion says that he is in terror in consequence of a dream he has had and he takes off his tunic and gives it to his slave and begs to be set on shore in a campaign when the infantry march forth he bids his comrades stand by him and look sharp urging the importance of finding out whether yonder object be the foe or not when he hears the sound of battle and sees men fall he says to those about him that in his haste he has forgotten to take his sword then he runs back to his tent sends his servant out and bids him see where the enemy are meanwhile he hides his weapon under his pillow and then waits a long time hunting for it while in his tent seeing one of his companions brought wounded from the field he runs out bids the fellow cheer up and lends a hand to carry the stretcher and then he stays to tend the sufferer washes his wounds and sits by his side driving away the flies anything but fight the enemy when the trumpeter sounds the signal for a fresh onset he exclaims as he sits in his tent plague take him he won't let the poor fellow get to sleep with his eternal bugling then staining himself with blood from the other's wound he meets the troops as they return from battle and pretending to have been in the thick of the fight he exclaims i've saved a comrade and then he takes his demsmen and tribesmen into the tent and assures each one of them that he himself brought the wounded man to the tent with his own hands four the overzealous man overzealousness is an excess in saying or doing with good intentions of course the overzealous man is one who gets up in public and engages to do things which he cannot perform in cases where no doubt exists in the mind of any one else he raises some objection only to be refuted at a banquet he forces the servants to mix more wine than the guests can drink if he sees two men in a quarrel he strives to part them though he knows neither one leaving the main road he leads his friends upon a bypath and presently cannot find his way he accosts his commander and inquires when he's going to draw up the troops for battle and what orders he intends to issue for the day after tomorrow 
he goes and tells his father that his mother is already asleep in her chamber if the doctor gives instructions that no wine be given a patient he administers just a little on the plea that he wants to set the sufferer right and when a woman dies he has carved on the tombstone her husband's name and her father's and her mother's along with the woman's own name and her native place and adds worthy people all of them in court as he takes the oath he remarks to the bystanders well, i've done this many a time before five the tactless man tactlessness is the faculty of hitting a moment that is unpleasant to the persons concerned the tactless man is the sort of person who selects a man's busy hour to go and confer with him he serenades his sweetheart when she has a fever if an acquaintance has just lost bail money on a friend he hunts him up and asks him to be his surety after a verdict has been rendered he appears at the trial to give evidence at a wedding where he is a guest he declaims against womankind when a friend has just finished a long journey he invites him to go for a walk he has a faculty for fetching a higher bidder for an article after it has been sold and in a group of companions he gets up and explains from the beginning a story which the others have just heard and have completely understood he is anxious to give himself the trouble to do what nobody wants done and yet what nobody likes to decline when men are in the midst of religious offerings and are making outlay of money he goes to collect his interest if he happens to be standing by when a slave is flogged he tells the story of how he once flogged a slave who then went away and hanged himself if he is arbitrator in a dispute he sets both contestants by the ears just at the moment when they are ready to settle their differences when he wants to dance he takes a partner who is not yet merry the shameless man shamelessness may be defined as contempt for decency joined with meanness of purpose your shameless fellow is one who robs a man and then returns to borrow money of him he sacrifices a victim to the gods and instead of making his supper from it he salts the meat down and then gets a meal at the house of a friend he calls a servant and taking bread and meat from the table says in a voice that all can hear try that to when he goes to market he reminds the butcher of all the patronage he has given him and as he stands by the scales throws in an extra piece if he can or if not a soup bone if he secures these he rests content if he fails he snatches a piece of tripe from the bench and makes off with it laughing he buys theater tickets for friends that are staying in town goes along with them to the performance but does not contribute his share of the expense and the next day you'll find him taking his children and their tutor too when anybody has found a bargain in any line he demands to have a share he goes to the neighbors and borrows barley or sometimes even bran and actually endeavors to make those who lend him these articles deliver them at his house a favorite trick of his is to march up to the tubs in a private bathhouse, draw a bucket of warm water, dash it over his head, despite the loud protests of the attendant, and then say as he leaves, well, That's a good bath. No thanks to you. 7. The Newsmonger Newsmaking is the concoction of false stories of what people say and do at the gossip's caprice. 
the newsmonger is one who straightway strikes an attitude and assumes a smiling air when he meets a friend and asks where have you been what news how's the situation have you any fresh word about it and then going straight on he asks is there no later report well the current rumors are good and without letting his friend reply he keeps right on what you haven't heard a word about it then i think i have a feast of news for you he always has in readiness some unheard-of soldier or a slave belonging to one estius a piper or lycon an obscure contractor just back from the battlefield and it is from one of these that he has heard the tidings the authorities for his reports are of the sort that you can never get hold of such are the men he quotes when he tells how polyperchon and the king carried the day and cassander was taken prisoner if anybody asks do you believe this he replies why the story is nosed all about the city is constantly gaining ground and the whole population is of one mind everybody is agreed about the battle it must have been a regular death's feast he reads a proof of it too in the faces of men in authority for they all wear a changed look he says he overheard that a man had come from macedonia who knows the whole history of the battle and that he has been concealed now five days in a house with the authorities there is a convincing pathos in his voice you can imagine it as he tells his story and exclaims luckless cassander ill-starred hero lo the fickleness of fortune vain it was that he rose to power but what i say is strictly between ourselves then he trips off and repeats the story to every man in town eight the mean man meanness is undue sparing of expense the mean man is the sort of person who will go to a creditor's house and demand a halfpenny interest before the month is up at dinner he counts the glasses each guest drinks and amongst his fellow banqueters he pours the smallest offerings to artemis he counts up the price a friend pays for a cheap purchase exclaiming that it takes his last penny if a servant breaks a pot or plate he deducts its value from his rations if his wife has lost a three-farthing piece he turns the furniture beds and cupboards round and round and hunts between the boards of the floor when he has anything to sell he puts the price so high that the buyer gets no bargain he permits no one to take a fig from his garden or to cross his field or even pick up an olive or a date that has fallen to the ground he examines his boundary marks every day to see that they have not been touched and he is always ready in case of default to use the right of seizure and to collect compound interest when he gives a banquet to his townsmen he cuts the meat in small pieces and sets a portion before each guest he goes to market but buys nothing he forbids his wife to lend salt or a lamp wick or a pinch of cumin marjoram or meal a fillet or a sacrificial wafer observing that these trifles make a large sum in the course of a year in a word one may see that the mean man's money chest is mouldy from being unopened the key rusty his cloak too scant to reach his thigh that he uses a mean little oil jar has his hair cropped to the scalp he does not wear his boots until midday and charges the fuller to use plenty of earth on his coat to keep it from soon getting soiled again nine the stupid man 
stupidity one may define as sluggishness in what a man says or does the stupid man computes a sum sets down the total and then asks his neighbor how much does it all make when he is defendant in a suit and should go to court he forgets all about it and puts off to his farm when he goes to a play at the theatre he is the only spectator that is left behind on the benches asleep he gets up in the night to go out after he has gorged himself and is bitten by the neighbor's dog he takes a thing and puts it away but when he comes to look for it he cannot find it if the death of a friend is announced to him that he may go to the funeral with a sorrowful air and tears in his eyes he says oh thank god when he goes to receive payment of a debt he takes witnesses with him in the winter season he quarrels with his slave because cucumbers have not been provided he forces his children to wrestle and to run until they fall into a fever when he is roughing it in the country and himself cooks the vegetables he puts salt in the pot twice and so makes the dish impossible when it rains and others declare that the sky is darker than pitch he exclaims oh, how sweet it is to consider the stars and if he is asked what is the mortality of the city how many bodies have passed through the sacred gates he replies would that you and i had as many ten the surly man surliness is sullen rudeness of speech the surly man is one who when you ask him who is that gentleman retorts ah oh, don't bother me and when you greet him on the street refuses to return your salutation when he has anything for sale he will not tell the purchaser what he charges but instead inquires how much do i get for it when one would show him some attention and sends him a gift for the holidays he says he is not in need of presents he accepts no excuse when by accident you smutch his clothes or push against him in a crowd or chance to tread upon his foot if you ask for his contribution to some object he refuses to make one though afterwards he may bring it around declaring however that he's throwing the money away sometimes he stumbles in the street and then he curses the stone that tripped him up and he's not a man to tarry many minutes for a friend who has an appointment with him singing declamation and dancing are amusements for which he has no taste and it's exactly like him to refuse to join even in prayer to the gods end of part one